What is happening? Welcome back to the Wipeout Podcast. My name is Fernandez, and my guests for you today are Rod and Jenny Cooper. I'm super excited to have Rod and Jenny on because they're the owners of the Movement Collective. They've built the gym where I've spent my last three years teaching and building my business out of. It's a community and a facility that's incredibly close to my heart. It's the whole reason I packed up my whole life from Melbourne and moved all the way up to Newcastle where I knew zero people. And I've seen firsthand just how hard Rod and Jenny have worked, not only to achieve the incredibly high level of movement and skill that they have in hand balancing, soft acrobatics, and you name it, but also how hard they've worked to build this incredibly special community that is not only such an important place in my life and so many other people, but also it's their dream business. It's their passion. It's, it's something that they've built to give themselves the lifestyle that they want for themselves and the rest of their family. So I wanted to scratch away the surface, look under the hood and ask them, how have you gone about actually doing this? How have you maintained training at such a high level through all of the kind of crazy challenges of raising a young family and trying to keep a business alive during COVID and lockdowns and turning that into a thriving community? So this is a really refreshing, honest conversation. If you're someone who cares at all about building a high level movement practice for yourself or building some kind of career or business around your own passions, there's something in this for you. I love these two people dearly with all my heart. I'm so grateful to have them on. And I know you guys are going to enjoy this one. So please welcome Rod and Jenny Cooper. Before I came to the Movement Collective, before I moved to Newcastle, basically the whole reason that I moved to Newcastle was for the Movement Collective. I, when I first interviewed you, Rod, I like lined you up online. I was like following you on Instagram for a while and I like reached out to you via email and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to. Was and, your target? Kind yeah, of suss really, him out. Really, I really was. I was like trying to suss you out. I was like, a couple of sneaky DMs. Uh, basically, I slid, it, <laughs> slid into Rod's DM before he did that. When he liked a couple of posts as well, I know, nah, like, <laughs> just to get me on the radar. Like, yeah. oh, who's this guy? <laughs> no, you liked all of his oldest videos. <laughs> yes, I was like, he's really done his research. A little bit creeped out, but I like the dedication. It's like the the original thirst trap, Rod Cooper, and then you you got me. You got me good. That's what I do. I, I saw TMC from afar and I saw what you guys were building here and there was nothing really like it in Melbourne. And that's actually what made me literally kind of leave everything behind in my life in Melbourne and come up here. And I had you on the podcast just before I moved. And that's why I wanted to get both of you guys on. Now I'm kind of coming to an end here and, and just one, just to kind of close that chapter and two, to really dive into a lot of what you guys have built here because so much of what I've experienced here was, has been incredible and I really want to give you guys the platform to share a lot more about what you've been doing. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. It's been amazing. Well, when was that actually? So when did we do the podcast and when did you start so at like TMC? March 2021, the podcast came out and I was here in like less than a month after that. So I guess what I'd love from you guys to start off with is just take me back to when you moved into this facility. I'd love for you to kind of share a bit of the story of what the process was like taking on that new responsibility. Rod's already <laughs> freaking out. Stress. Yeah. And what was that like for you guys to shift into that new phase of your business? It was, yeah, Rod just said stress and yeah, it definitely was. And it probably didn't, probably people looking from the outside in were like, oh, they must be doing so well. They're moving into this like huge, awesome facility. And, you know, it's like, it's got, you know, the three surfaces and it's got all this awesome equipment and they're going to have heaps Huge. of members and it's just awesome. And from from our perspective, we we were kind of forced into needing to find another venue 
um, because the place that we were we were at, we actually had restrictions on what times we could have classes. And initially, we were kind of just just having the six a.m. class, even though we weren't supposed to. So it wasn't in the DA for us to do six a.m. And we had complaints from a neighbour. And she was constantly complaining, literally walking across the road and banging on the garage door, telling oh us to God. stop. Yeah. yeah, we had a call from the council and said if we start at 6am one more time or tomorrow, that they're going to give us a $6,000 fine. And oh every time we start at 6am, so we had to, it was like immediately we had to find a new facility. So it was a bit of a stressful moment. And yeah, I remember Damo was visiting. I think we just did the first Newcastle Movement Weekend. It was this retreat that we held in Newcastle. We've done it a few times now. And he was here for the very first one. And it was such an awesome event. And he stuck around for about a week after it. And I remember we got the news that we needed to move out and we were going to sign up for this new facility. I think we just got approved for this one. And it was stressful finding a place. Mm -hmm. But then there was that moment where we said yes and we committed to this place and then knowing that we had about 30 members and that we needed a hundred members to make, you know, just a break even was a huge thing. So it was this huge stressful moment. I remember him, do you remember sitting on yeah. the couch and I was just like, just tearing my hair out, just like, what are we going to do? How are we going to make this work? Like asking all these questions. I had no answers. Um, and he was singing me that song, yeah. um, keep your head up by keep ben, your head. Ben, ben Howard. Yeah. Yeah. Keep your heart. I'll still always remember that. It was awesome. Wow. I just laid there and, in that moment, yeah, I just kind of just sat back on the couch and after like listening to Damo sing that song, I relaxed into it and I realized that everything was going to be okay. And I had no idea how I knew that, that it was like something to do with just relaxing, trusting the process, knowing that, you know, we've, we've come this far. We've got huge passion as a team, as individuals, as a community that, you know, it's, it's too strong for us to fail at this point. We're going to keep going. And we did. And I think that message like of like the community and the business is too strong to fade has like followed us all the way through like the whole journey all the way up until now, like thinking about all of the community helping us move. Like we didn't pay oh, it. Yeah. We didn't like pay removalists to help us. We had all this equipment, we had so much equipment, like big mats, all the weights and everything. We need to pull the ring di- rig down and put it back up again. And it was wild. all of the members yeah. just helped us and like all of the gray oh, mats, sick. like they all had to be like, they're so heavy. I don't know if you've ever carried one of them mats before, but they are super heavy and and we had like maybe 20 members like just one evening they all brought like their vans and their cars and they piled them all up and we had builders with all of their you know all tools. of their tools like pulling the rig down and and everyone helped and it was like I think that that moment for me was just like all right we're going to get through this because we've got the community community behind support. us and even though we've got a lot of work to do we're going to have the support and we're just going to get through yeah that was wild that night I remember I, I think I posted and just said hey six o'clock we're going to try to move all the equipment over to the new facility and, you know, if you've got vans and trucks and all these things, just bring them along. We'll feed you pizza. And it was like, you know, one car turned up and another one. And we ended up just having all these trucks and vans and trailers and all, it was just wild. And then I just watched it and it all happened in kind of, um, it was like I was watching in real time a time lapse mm. of the of the mats being cleared out of this 200 square meter facility. Rant, rant, rant. All the like the, you know, everyone up on the rig, just like taking everything down. I was just watching all these like work ants. And then all of a sudden it was done. And then we were here unpacking it into the new facility. And then we had, I remember we ordered a bunch of pizzas and everyone was moving and playing in the new space. And I was like, all right, you know, this is stage one kind of thing. So it was really awesome to see the community come together. At that point, we'd just finished building the dance floor as well. 
Yep. It's at the old facility. We didn't have a dance floor. We just had like the soft, the soft mat, a little bit of like the rolled out soft mat, not like we have now, just two rolled out mats. And then we had a little bit of the gray. They were quite smelly, floor. weren't yeah, they? Yeah, very smelly old they were mats. secondhand old gymnastics <laughs> yeah. mats. Like a lot of blood, sweat and tears went into those ones. Yeah. Every time I'd roll them out, I'd be like, oh, we've got to upgrade <laughs> at some point. And it was very exciting for everyone, I think, to come into the space and like start moving around on the dance floor. Like everyone's doing a handstands, an acro, and just being silly. It was Emma, heaps of Emma fun. was in here, I remember, doing just a twerking. booty shake with um, Josh Mortel. I think yeah. they had a bit of a dance off. That's so good. It was awesome. This is one of the, the themes I really noticed the more and more I speak to people like yourselves and who've, you know, go through these experiences like this, these huge growth experiences. It's almost easy to kind of backwards rationalize it sometimes like, oh yeah, and oh, or from the outside looking in, someone's like, oh, okay. And then they upgraded this facility and then, wow, it's so successful. <laughs> but I think it's like, it's easy to gloss over at the time when these things happen, these kind of points of transition. It's like, oh, this is terrifying. This is the furthest yeah. thing from certain. I remember, I don't, I think it was in a book that I read this once. It's like this analogy of this hermit crab. This really stuck with me a lot because and they kind of have this as an analogy for life because like the hermit crab will grow and it'll find its first little shell and it'll be grown into its shell, grown into its shell and its shell is its protection. And then over time as it grows bigger and it eats more, it starts to grow bigger and it starts to outgrow the current shell that it has. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't actually leave that shell behind, the hermit crab will die. But, so it's got to like shed this shell and like go out into the unknown and be like, oh shit, I'm I need a shell. Find a shell. <laughs> there's risk involved. 100%. There's also risk involved in staying as well. Well, there's like certainty of death involved. Yes. You know what I mean? Like there's like you'll, you'll outgrow that and you'll literally be smothered. But it's that kind of moment of like shedding of the shell and like, holy shit, I have to do this. I have to step into the unknown. But that's actually what allows you to grow into that next phase as well. So I've always, that's kind of, that seems like exactly what that was like as well. What were some of the early challenges that you faced moving in? They say you've done this, you've moved in, and you need all those extra members. Like what happened next? It didn't open day. Yeah, I think the open day was really helpful. We had a bunch of workshops and things like that. And soon after that, like we did reach the target. I can't remember exactly when it was, but we did hit that 100 members. It was just before we went on holidays. It was in holidays. November. We went to Mental Eye and we hit 100. I just can't before remember we, when yeah. we moved out. How long after you opened was that? It was probably about three, maybe three months. Oh, heck. Yeah, like a few months, like not yeah, not too long after it. But Thank we God. worked very hard on you know marketing, always doing the social media stuff as much as we could at the time. And people saw that, you know, we we're moving from Wickham to um, Waratah. And I was kind of worried that we were moving from one location to another and maybe this location wasn't suitable for everyone. Everyone really loved this location. It was a bit more central. We've got parking. So it was just a bit of an upgrade, like overall for everybody. Um, So, yeah, we just did as much as we possibly could. The open day really helped. And we got to that target a few months later, which was awesome. And, again, it's like it feels like I'm just breezing over it now. Like you said, there was so much work went into it, so many stressful days, like thinking, are we going to hit this target? Are we going to not hit the target and not afford the rent? So that was always um, on the back of our minds as well. So putting out sort of head down and just working as hard as we could to make sure that we kept this community going and keep this roof over our head. Actually, um, just something funny on one of the – one of the difficulties when we first moved in, this is like, a, it's an old warehouse, right? It's been around for a long time and it's never really been, it's never been used for a gym before. It used to be a tile warehouse. And when we first moved in, there was a, there was a huge storm, like a couple of weeks after we moved in and it was literally raining in here. 
The, the roof was so bad. No, you have no idea. So there was idea. like 40 plus leaks. Like, yeah. Oh my. Counted. No and exaggeration. Had like containers and buckets all over the floor. Like while we're trying to teach this class, it Reception was crazy. On, on the carpet, on the gymnastics carpet, on the dance floor, just like water everywhere. It became a movement challenge. Yes. yes. Dodge yes. the leaks. <laughs> yeah. Can you not slip and exactly. break an angle? Yeah. yeah, we asked the landlord, can you fix this? They came in a few times and repaired a few different pieces. and But then it kept happening. Every time it was raining, it was water on the dance floor. And this happened for a few months. It's good that you bring this up too because yeah. there were so many little bits like this mm. that just happened, especially the DA too. Maybe we can talk about that as well. That was a, a three-year saga. And they started replacing bits in the roof and it was still leaking and we just kept complaining and saying, hey, like this needs to be fixed. We can't, you know, run a gym like this because it's just basically raining inside. And they eventually came and replaced the whole roof for us, which was like a $35,000 thing. Oh so we're really God. thankful that the landlord and the owner did that because now we don't have any leaks. But yeah, it was pretty wild at the time trying to navigate that. That's so hectic. It was Shut a little up. bit of a, metaf- a metaphor for the business. Really, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's so There's good. still a few little leaks around, yeah, but we're just you know, patching them up. over the time we're just patching them up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is like, again, I think this is such a great theme as well, but this is another thing I really want to speak to you guys about is also your movement practice as well. You know, this is really what a lot of you guys have built this whole TMC brand on is your own individual practices and your own individual ability to teach as well. And again, from the outside looking in, often it can be easy to fall into the trap of thinking like, oh, okay, it's so easy for this person or easy for that person. But, you know, the perfect program is often very, very disconnected from what life is actually like when shit like this is happening and you're, you know, trying to put out all these fires and trying to fix all these leaks and you've got all this stuff going on as well. And you guys have also recently just had Logan as well. Yeah. How old is Logan now? He'll be two in January. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Feels like yesterday. That's crazy. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. And obviously your training practice would have really changed before and after that as well. So I'd love for you guys to speak to a little bit like, you know, we, we came up in kind of the, the movement scene, came up with the whole Edo thing and everyone was training like multiple hours a day, like, you know, six, five to seven days a week. But often for the people that we teach here and also for most people and also for you guys now with you got a son and you got a business, like the reality is really different. So what does your training practice look like now? And how can you kind of paint a picture of what maybe a, What's realistic for you guys amidst all the chaos of all the responsibility you guys you guys have? I would say firstly that it's very dynamic, that it's that it's not set up like I do my morning routine and then at seven o'clock I do an hour of handstands and then in the afternoon I do my PM session. It's definitely not like that. It's, you know, I schedule my personal training, my classes, uh, looking after Logan, hanging out with Jenny, all these different things in my life are kind of set out in my Google calendar. And I like to color code everything so I can see where I'm spending my time. I think that's very important. And as for my training, I look at certain blocks in between teaching where I can insert those. So it might be a two-hour block where I'm doing handstands and stall the press and my mobility work. And then if I've got time, it's normally one time a day that I have that block. And I get to choose because... Well, if you've seen us on Instagram, we're doing a lot of different things. And it's not just, you know, the movement practice that you see with Inside TMC. Also like to go spearfishing and do archery and play golf and all these things, right? So it's it's like finding the time and I make a point of finding the time each day to do those things. I was sick the last couple of days, like last four days. So I haven't trained at all. And I think it's really about accepting that, accepting that things change, having as much structure as possible, but also not beating yourself up when things don't go to plan. Mm-hmm. 
So what I did last night, I had a little bit of energy. So I just sat, we just put a movie on and I just sat and I just moved around. I had a little stretch and, and did what I could. And I do that each and every single day. I try to find those moments where I can move. It might be this big long session where I'm going, going to town and doing my one arm chin training and I'm you know, doing two hours worth of training or maybe it's just a quick half an hour and I get my body feeling good, like this feel good practice of spinal waves and hanging and stretching and things like that. So it's very varied. It sounds like the structure of your calendar also helps you identify the pockets where you can do that as well, right? Yeah. If it, it was just this kind of big blob of like, oh, I don't know what, the, what something's going to happen today. There's so much yeah. to do. Oh, holy shit. I don't know. I've got no time. Like if you can actually quantify each little layer of what is going on, then you start to see little pockets and windows open up and you start yeah. to be able to kind of fit the training to suit the time available. Is that kind of right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it all depends. So I just put training in there now. So I, I sometimes schedule in like stall the training and the next day in that two hour block, it'll be one arm chin training and then something else. But then what I've found and you have experienced this as well, doing one arm chin training or any sort of training, sometimes you go too hard. And as an example, say on Monday, I've got two hours. I do my one arm chin training. The next day I was scheduled to do stall the press training uh, after I teach, say like 8.30 in the morning before my classes or just after my class, before my next class. And I was way too fatigued to do it. So then in that session, I just did some lighter work. I did some juggling, things like that. And then the stall the press session gets moved to the next day. And I'm okay with adapting and, and moving and shuffling things because I just know that that is a part of life basically, like just overall and also part of our training that we need to be adaptable and be able to change things, but also have that structure in place. Like you said, that there's not just this, you know, blanket of like, I'm just going to do whatever each day. So there's like certain things that need to be done. And there's these pockets of time that I'm going to insert and be specific with what I'm doing. But then there's also that flexibility with inside that as well. It's super important. Well, for me anyway, I don't think everyone's structured like that, but especially with Logan now, it's... it's yeah. How is that different. How is that similar and how is that different for you, Jenny? I think the, like the calendar and the scheduling in, it's very similar. It, it definitely has to be now with Logan because our time is it's shared like in the beginning when Logan wasn't going to daycare it was like we literally had half the amount of time and not just for training half the amount of time for every single thing that we wanted to do because one of us would always need to be with Logan and he's in daycare twice a week and Rod's mum and dad having one day so there's three days where we we kind of get back um but I actually use a lot of the programming at TMC to determine what I'm working on Mm. um for instance, it's not always like this, but in this program or in the last program, we had a lot of flow stuff and I've never really done, I can do flow, but I've never really taught it and I've never really made it a part of my practice. But because I was teaching it, um, I feel, I think that I would feel like a fraud if I wasn't, you know, if I didn't feel it in my own body and like feel like I understood it in my own body, because when I really understand in my own body, it makes it so much easier to explain it to someone else. It's like, if there's a movement that I struggle a bit with, if I push through it so I can really understand it, then when I'm talking to someone else, it just like makes so much more sense when I say, oh yeah, I struggled with this, but I just did this or, or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, I was really working on like the flow stuff and trying to add it in just so it felt, um, I could feel it in my body. And then this program, we have both staff and I never really worked very much on the both staff. So I had a bit of a freak out at the start of this program. Um, and I was like, Rod, I, I don't know any both staff and I don't know it, let alone can I teach it. So then it was like just this real quick, okay, I've just got to learn. And I did, I learned like five or six movements before we got into the program. And I've learned like probably another five or six more, like I've got heaps of moves now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, determined by the program, like what I need to teach 
But then as well, I really like the pro like the program we have at TMC and it's so varied that it just keeps me on top of everything. Like all of the mobility and all the strength stuff. Like we have um ring routines um in this program at the moment. Um so just before we brought that in, I started working on my bent arm pushing and pulling again just so that I could demonstrate and I could help people and um, so yeah, it's really determined by the programming and then like whatever the specific thing at the moment is like my one arm handstands is my big thing that I, I spend most of my time on, but then I sprinkle through all of this, this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Sick. Have you guys, I'd love to ask you first, Jenny, have you found any, when you have those bigger goals that take a little bit more time to work on, but there's also, you know, there's things competing for our time as well. Have you guys found yourself leaning on any other tactics or specific kind of ways when it comes to the programming in, in, in particular to keep your training being effective without being able to design it top down from here's the perfect training program. I'm going to do this. Everything else can flow around that. When things have to change, it's like, okay, here's what I need to get done with all the responsibilities I have. Training needs to fit into this, but I still want to be effective in chasing these slightly higher level goals. Are there any kind of tools tactics protocols that you find yourself leaning on to stay effective in the pursuit of those goals um not really to be honest though um something that i have noticed is when i have a big goal and i just really focus on that goal i end up getting injured Mm. um so when i first started doing the one-arm training i was doing a lot of press and a lot of one-arm training and everything else kind of went out the window because i was like i'm gonna just like put all of my time in i'm gonna get the one arm and i'm just gonna get heaps strong and it's happened multiple times when i've been working on something specific and i like kind of um get my what's it called the little goggles that horses wear those things blinkers Blinkers, or whatever they're called yeah i get them on and i've like just got this one goal in mind and then because everything else goes out the window i get injured so i think for me, and I know that everybody's different, I know that I need to make sure that it's like quantity over quality. Quantity mm-hmm. over quality. So like when I was training my one-arm handstands and I was doing it like nearly every day, five days a week, I would be injured. Whereas if I just do it two to three days a week, I can you know maintain the rest of my body and have enough time to rest and to recuperate before I jump back into the next session. Right, so you, you kind of feel that, when you chase the quantity over the quality, you start to find that that Definitely. starts to get closer to injury. So you're trying yep. to, even if it's less often or if it's whatever, yep. if I can just focus on bringing some really good quality and focus on understanding the movement a little yeah. bit better, you can kind of, especially with lots of other stress from the rest of your life as well, yeah. recover recover a little bit better from that as well. Yeah, when I, when I got my very first press to handstand, I was working on the press for like probably five days a week for at least an hour, five days a week. And it was so hard for me to get it, but I eventually got it and it was really hard for me to maintain. And then I fell pregnant. And then afterwards, when I came back to try to get my press again, I was only working on it one day a week. And I think I got it like after having Logan, I think I got it back within six months or something of just working on it one day a week. And not only did I get it back, but it was easier for me to maintain it, which is crazy because I was doing like a quarter of the work. Mm. But that's just me and I know everybody's body works differently. But I know for me, if I push too hard, I'm just going to get injured. This is something I really try and come back to. I was just doing a little like mini workshop for some of my one-to-one students. And something I was kind of, I was sharing in that workshop is like, has it hands up how many of us, the only stress that we have is from training. And everyone was like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) of course not. You know what I mean? Like, there's shit that happens in the rest of our life, but it's all stress and training. The way that training makes us stronger is via stress and recovery and adaptation to that stress. So 
prioritizing instead of like the perspective of like, what can I recover from? Not like how much of this can I do? What if I train this five? What if I train this six days a week? Like more is not just better. Mm-hmm. And I think it especially when it comes to skill-based stuff and movement stuff, if it's just like a, a Metcon stuff and you can just kind of, you just want to be in a ball of sweats, that's one thing. You still need to watch out for your recovery doing that. But especially when it's skill-specific, when it's pattern-specific and when it's muscle and tendon-specific, we're going to get humbled real fast by trying mm-hmm. to do too much. So I really like that perspective of being like, let me see how like little I can do and just still progress That's and right. still recover. And then often it's so not, it's much nicer to be like surprised by that and be like, oh, sick, yeah. rather than be like, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm putting in so much effort and so much work, but I'm actually moving backwards and away from this goal. Yeah. And I think it, it is like muscular um, and all those things you mentioned, but as well, sometimes the brain needs time to, to catch up yes. so that it can go, oh, we're trying to do that thing. But if you just keep giving it more and more information, sometimes it's a little bit too much yeah. and the brain just needs some time just to go, oh, that's what we're doing. You know, I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but maybe you've tried a movement and then like you've just gone to sleep and then the next day you try it and you're like, oh, I've got it. Like the brain's just had time. Like you might've like been drilling it for like three hours. You couldn't get it. And then the next day you try it and you're like, oh, I've just got it. Like the brain's just had time for it to settle and to like understand the movement. Yeah, this is a real like thing that they've studied in terms of creativity as well. It's called the incubation period. Like after you've kind of done a thing and then you kind of, the subconscious needs some more time to kind of work on it a little bit. And then there's the the kind of revelation at the end of that real increase that often is correlated with deeper phases of sleep as well and REM sleep as well, which is interesting. But I want to throw it over to you. Yeah, well, I just was just going to add to that. I find that with skill work that you can work on something for a really long time and make progress, but then there'll be a certain point where it's like overload for Mm. your nervous system or your brain or your body. And then taking even just a short break, say it's like something like juggling or bow staff, whatever it is. And it doesn't really require any adaptation in terms of physical. It's more of like a neurological or, you know, something other than physical, like for you to understand the pattern and that's when it can click. So I've found that a lot as well, like you're saying, whether it's a, a five-minute break, walk away, come back, and it feels like you've got kind of like a, a fresh fresh eyes on mm. it or fresh feeling and you can and it makes sense. So, yeah, I find that a lot. That's awesome. Yeah. What, what, I, what I try to do uh, in terms of what you were talking about before, it's, it's varied as well. So this is not always like a set rule, as you would know, but I find that working towards a skill, it needs a certain amount of attention. If you haven't acquired the skill – and it does require strength, flexibility, all these adaptations, plus learning the pattern of the skill. I think for me, it really requires deep practice. So it might not be minimum effective dose. It might be like heaps of time spent on it, enough time for me to understand it with inside my body, my brain, everything kind of understands the pattern. And then once you get it, like Jenny was saying, then it's easier to maintain or easier to find it again once you've got it. So I, I think that there's this balance that we can strike And I don't always go to the approach of the minimum effective dose because I think that we can get caught in that as well as like trying to find the most bang for your buck and do the most minimal. I was talking about this in terms of the fitness industry. I feel like that's kind of the approach that they use for everything. And it's like, let's get it the fastest way possible. Let's find the one, you know, the one thing that's going to get you there. And it only takes six weeks. I think there's something in taking 12 months to figure something out. And I think the lessons that I learned from figuring it out over 12 months and not just being handed a skill or handed something with inside my movement practice i just learned so much from that so it's it's a combination of both like trying to find the volume that's going to get you there but also not do too much that you're going to get injured and it's always just like communicating with your body with your mind with your emotions everything that you've got access to and 
understanding that some things come fast, some things take longer, some things take way longer than you would ever imagine. Like when I first started doing one-arm handstands, I could see other people doing it. I'm like, I can already do a handstand for like a minute. You know, how long is this going to take? Fast forward six years later, I didn't really put a lot of time into it in the beginning. It's been the last two years that I've really dedicated time and had programs and things like that and done, you know, six days a week of training that it's starting to make sense. That I had a session the other day with uh, Sundi and I said shout to him- Shout out Sundi. Yes, shout out. And he's been on the podcast. Yes, he has. Listen to that one. What episode? Oh, testament. Probably 11. But I don't 11. Know. Check it out. And I was saying to him that most things I, with practice, especially years of practice, I can fully understand it inside my body and be able to explain it. With the one I'm handsome, I still have no fucking clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard. So I'm still at that process of like, and I don't think that's going to come with just doing a little bit. It's like for me to really spend some time and, and maybe doing some like journaling and I don't know if you saw the other day that I I drew a picture of my hand and I started to map out like where's the position on my hand and just looking at it from a whole bunch of different angles rather than just finding sort of one thing that's going to get me there. It's like, oh no, this is way more complex than I can even understand right now. And over time, I'm slowly starting to tick away and starting to understand certain concepts of the one arm hand sense. I think that's a good example because it's, yeah, it's it's just a wild move (laughs) and it's, it feels like nothing like the two arm. I really like that answer and I. this is something I've definitely reflected on in my own training practice. It's like the things that I've struggled with the most, I've ended up being the best at teaching. Like the things like which I didn't actually need to really battle with as much, I don't have as much of that in the trenches in depth. Like what this is like a problem that I can't overcome. How do I get this? Like, And so I really like that, that there's value in things taking a bit longer especially if you care about being someone who wants to pay this forwards and help other people as well. Cause I think one of the best parts about movement is sharing it with other people mm-hmm. and like, Oh, you, I was doing some handstand stuff the other day and I was asking you for some tips about just entry level stuff for the one arm. And you were like, Oh, hundred percent. And just like that process is really, really great. But it, you don't get that if it's just like, that was easy. That was easy. That was easy. <laughs> and uh, I'd love to throw it over to you, Jenny. Like what's one movement that you've really struggled with and what was a huge lesson that came out of that? Or what did you learn from that experience? Uh, I'm going to go with the the muscle up because it was one of my – actually, I think it was my first goal when I started at Team C and I was doing private sessions with Rod. For anyone who doesn't know, I did private session, sessions with Rod. Shout out, Rod. <laughs> <laughs> trained hashtag by Rod. trained by Rod. <laughs> I tried to start a hashtag trained by Rod. Every time I'd post <laughs> Jenny, I would say tag, but – Trained by Rod. Trained by Rod. Yeah, it didn't really didn't stick go to go off, it. did it? Hashtag married by Rod. Married by Rod, yeah. <laughs> we need to change it. <laughs> yeah, and um, when I was first going for that goal, I could I could only do one chin up. Um, so there was a lot that I had to develop strength-wise to be able to do it. But the biggest thing for me was like belief in myself that I could do it. And I was mm. actually – it was so, it's so funny to think back, but I was actually really nervous to even try to do it in case I would fail. I had like a really bad relationship yeah. with failure when I first started at Team C and I would say it's gotten a lot better. But yeah, I remember um, like just being there holding onto the rings and Rod would be like, just like, just do it. And I'm like, oh, I'm just like scared. It's like, it's not even a scary situation. It's just strength. Like you either have it or you don't, the strength and the technique, mm-hmm. you either have it or you don't. And I was like, just couldn't believe how scared I was to do this, this exercise. And I just had no confidence in my capacity to even try because I was so scared of failing that I would, 
you know, I would judge myself or I was scared that Rod would judge me for failing. Yeah, is that what you thought would happen? Like, can you remember? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I think that I just wanted to be, I wanted to, I wanted to make myself Prove proud. something, yeah. And I wanted to make you proud as well because we'd been, it was like this point where we'd been working on it for like seven or eight months or something. It's like, oh, I really want to be able to do it. I've got all the things I've got. Now I've got my, you know, my five pull-ups and I've got my five dips. I should be able to just do this thing. And yeah, there was just this one day where Rod said to me, Jenny, you've got all of the things, just do the muscle up. And I did it. I like, I just did it. And it was, um, (laughs) and yeah, that was, it was a really awesome experience because yeah, I didn't, I didn't believe in myself. I needed someone else to believe in me. But then once I had that other person who believed in me, like after that, I started to believe in myself. Mm. And, um, yeah, I think after that, like moving forward with every other thing that I've learned since then, I've been able to you know, mostly just motivate myself and believe in myself to do it. I haven't needed someone saying any going, you can do that thing. You can do it. Like, just do it. So, um, and I, I think that a lot of people will be able to relate to this. I know that when yeah. people first start at TMC, they really don't, they just don't believe in themselves at all. They, they don't believe that they're strong enough. They don't believe that they're flexible enough. They don't believe that they're good enough. Um, and they just need someone in their ear to tell them that they're good enough. And even if they try, even if they don't get it, they're still good enough mm-hmm. till eventually they do something and then they go, oh, I like, I believe in myself now. I've just right. done this thing. And now I believe that if I try, I can do these other things. And it's such a, like, I like a life or I want to say life altering moment because it is because that belief that people find in themselves in their movement practice extends out to so many other aspects of their life. It's like, Oh, if I can do this thing in the gym, then what can I do outside of the gym? Like I hate my job right now. Oh, what if I could go and change careers or like, you know, do something that I'm actually passionate about. And um, yeah, I think that's really exciting. You did that. You lived that story as well. And we've seen so many people go through that pattern of, starting to believe in themselves from the physical, from doing a movement they didn't think was possible. And that's why it's so important to break it down into those small little chunks. So it's not this big, you know, from zero chin-ups to a muscle-up. It's like, oh no, let's just work on one chin-up and then two chin-ups and then slowly start to tick away. And that, and then each time it's giving them, like you were saying, it's like not coming from external. They're showing themselves that they're good enough and they can do these things if they work on it. Because it's like accepting kind of where you're at and just, you know, having the coach there is awesome to, to tell you, but then it's from you building that self-confidence and that belief time and time again builds this like unbelievable confidence. And we've seen that so many times. It's amazing. It's happened with me too. Yeah. The fear of failure thing is a huge one that I struggle with, not just in movement practice, but also in the rest of my life. Like it's not, it's no accident that it shows up inside the gym but it's just like, oh no, this doesn't hold me back anywhere else in my life. Like this isn't the pattern that plays out all the fucking time. Uh. And it's like, that's why, you know, people say that training is so much bigger than just the gym or just the physical. But I think a lot of people don't really unpack what that is. And that's such a beautiful example of what that is because I had exactly the same thing growing up. My relationship with failure was terrible. My relationship with competition and comparison was terrible you know i was just like from a young kid you know throwing little tennis games that i was playing because i didn't want to lose i wanted to be like oh no i couldn't be bothered and all these different kinds of things and when you come to a movement practice you're forced in some ways to show up and kind of deal with this and face up to this but when you have a coach when you have a guide someone that one does believe in you two has seen that 50 other people go through the same journey and knows that it's nothing about you you can just do this if you just stay with it and then they kind of, they transfer 
that they kind of help you see the belief, they help you with the process. And then you start to get that belief more and more in your own body. And you start to be like, wow, what else can I do? That's one of my favorite things about movement training. I don't think I care nearly as much about random muscle-ups if it didn't really instill that kind of self-belief as well. Was there anything that you found along that journey especially helpful to start to move past that fear of failure? Yeah, um, so I obviously I did I did PTs, which helped because I had the belief. But then, hire Rod Cooper. That's the you got fear of failure. Trained by Rod. Trained by. <laughs> but then I needed to, so I needed to work on my relationship with failure, and I found it really, even though it was great to have someone like a mentor and a teacher to guide me through it. Something in me knew that it was like no, like I need to be able to have it. I need to be able to have it in myself. So I did actually get a set of rings at home and I I practiced and failed a bunch of times at home. I just I would just give it a go and it was like I remember like I'd go outside and I'd, I'd hang up the rings and make sure they're the right height, fiddle around with it for a little bit and then I, oh, I need a drink and I'll go inside and I'll go get a drink of water before I, <laughs> before I do anything. And then I'd like warm up for a while and I'm thinking about it the whole time. I'm like just have a go. Like it doesn't you know, it doesn't matter if you don't get it, like just have a go. And so even that process of me just like, maybe I would only have one go the first time I did it because it was like, like I didn't want to fail. It wasn't even just in front of Rod because Rod wasn't even there. It was just, it was for me as well. Um, So yeah, just trying, just trying on my, my own and being okay with the fact that I didn't get it. But knowing that every time that I would try to do it, even though I wasn't getting it, it was building the, the strength and the patterning that I needed to eventually be able to do it. I really like that. A big one for me is, and I've come up against this with acrobatics recently as well, is like it, it sounds quite like quite a similar thing. It's like making it safe to fail. You know what I mean? Like if in there's a real physical consequence, for example, if you attempt something like a backflip and you fall on your head, that, you know, that fear of failure is real and it's warranted as well because it's almost unsafe to fail. But there's also an emotional counterpart to that as well. It's like if I fail in front of this huge class full of people, that might feel like a greater emotional consequence than doing it in the safety and privacy of your own home. Mm. So sometimes finding ways to almost step down the consequences a bit and be like, I'm just going to try and meet myself here, meet myself where I'm at, and then maybe I'll be able to do it in front of my trainer, and then maybe I'll be able to do it in front of a class, and where it doesn't matter where you start. Mm. But if you can just step, 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 then you can look back after two or three years or even a few months and be like, holy shit, I can't believe it how different this reality feels mm. yeah, it feels like that gradual exposure yes you're finding the thing that scares you the most and then what is the most like the minimum thing you you can step into and mm. practice that is not in front of a bunch of people it's maybe you by yourself and maybe it takes you ages because you're procrastinating and doing this stuff at home but then you just do one rep and mm. the next day you do two and then you just keep building that up over time mm. yeah there was one other lesson that i learned with um my with my muscle up um journey and it was about filming myself so Prior to that, I'd really only feel myself doing handstands because I just wanted to catch myself doing a handstand and then I could do a screenshot. I'm like, hey, I did a handstand. Um, But once I got my muscle up, it was really ugly. It was um, like chicken wing, like I would do like one arm and then the other one. And I did that for like quite a while. And then one day I filmed it and I watched it and I'm like, oh, I can do better than this. Like I'm so strong and I know what I have to do. Like I've done the pattern. Like I know exactly what it needs to look like. I know in my body what I have to do. I just need to do it. And with that, I set my camera back up again. I got up. I did my muscle up, the most perfect muscle up. It was like, it was just textbook, beautiful. I was, I went back and watched it. I'm like, 
how long have I been able to do that for? But I've never like sat and watched a video and gone, oh, I can do better than that. And I use that a lot. I do. I know a lot of people who do movement, they video themselves, but I've used it for, you know, my press training and I've used it for my, um, you know, a lot of my hand balancing stuff I use it for. And it's like positioning. It's like, what, what's my body doing and how can I change it slightly to make it look better or to feel better or to be stronger? And um, that's something that I definitely learned from the muscle up. That's a huge one. And this is this is really cool. There's a lot of like practical things that we can tease out of this as well. We've got like the videoing thing. We've got the fear of failure meeting where you're at. There's been a bunch before then as well. But I think that's something that I've certainly noticed and something I've really come to value over this last three years of being here is that I've got a really unique perspective on like just seeing people from every walk of life come through these doors. And there was a while when you guys were just having Logan where I was doing all of the kind of progression sessions and like, but that was such a, I, I learned so much doing that because there was people from every different physical background with different goals, different, you know, relationships with failure, different relationships with their body, different training ages. And that really informed so much about what I now come to draw upon when teaching. And you guys have been doing this for even longer. And so I'd love to ask you guys, what separates two people walk in at the same time? One goes on to achieve, you know, like all kinds of skills and really, really progresses with their movement practice and the other one doesn't stick with it. What separates those two people? I would say the belief in themselves. Both have the capability of practicing whatever level that they're at because it doesn't really matter. And I've said this before, it's like just knowing where you stand and everyone stands in a different position. Like you have your strengths, you have your weaknesses, Jenny the same, we're all different ages, different genders, whatever it is. We need to just understand where we're at, get the help, which we provide. We literally give every single step and progression, but it's really the make or break is the belief that, you know, they can improve and taking the next step. Just doing the thing on repeat over time, being patient and the results will come or you get too scared and you run away. And I think that that's happened many, many times. We've had a bunch of people leave TMC saying, you know, everyone's too good. Everyone's too flexible. They're all gymnasts. They do this, they do that. And those people are only good because they've practiced, but it's really hard to communicate that with someone in the beginning when they feel like they're at, at a level and everyone else is well above them. So we try to be really gentle with them, those people that need that extra nurturing and support. I try to offer them private sessions and help them as much as possible. But even then, you know, it's still not enough. Sometimes we do that. We reach out, we give our time up for free actually sometimes. And we pull people aside and say, hey, like, you know, I see that you're not understanding this movement so well. Like, do you want to do a couple of sessions? We've done that and people have still left because it's still too hard for them. It's still at a level where they feel like they, you know, they don't believe that they can improve. And yeah, I find it really sad that that, that happens. And I hope that those people leave and, and find something that, that is good for them and that they can start to progress and, and understand that it is just this process and, and it does take time and patience to improve the physical body and, and their mindset around that. So I really hope that those people have found something that is suitable for them because I understand that movement is not for everybody. Maybe it's a timing thing and maybe in 20 years' time that they – because it's a fairly new concept as well. It's not, you know, this um, exercise or fitness industry that's been around for a long time and it's well-marketed. It is a fairly new concept and it's quite weird for a lot of people as well. So I get it that some people come and think that, oh, no, this – you know, I didn't do this crazy workout and I didn't get a sweat on. And it was, they were just doing handstands and, and back bridges and, and 
these types of things and it, it wasn't what they wanted. So maybe, you know, there's a cycle and maybe they come back around to it at some point. And I really hope that that happens, but I always want to just encourage people to do the thing that they want to do and, and that's going to help them progress not only in their body, but also in every area of their life. Yeah, 100% because some people come and then they go and it's just like not for them. And that's I'm cool. like, that's fucking awesome. And it's like, I, I had a client early on doing some handstand stuff. So she built, I got her first chin up, built some really good fundamental strengths, but then we're just kind of like, I think I just want to go and do something else. And she's doing like regular gym training and like getting real strong with machines. But she's like, I, I train her husband as well. And he's like, oh, yeah, she's doing awesome though. Yeah, I'm like, that's sick. Yeah, That's what we want. But it's the people who come and they, you can almost tell that they, it, it is for them. Yes. There's something really, they really want to do it, but it's just something like that belief. And that, that is the sad thing. So, yeah. And it's something that they, I think the pro, like the progress is really helpful. Like if they make progress, that's what I was saying before about the incremental progress or the progressions. It's like if someone can make just a little bit of progress, that's enough motivation or inspiration for them to go to the next level and to practice more, and to come to classes and to do extra training. And that compounds. But it also can go the other way as well. Whereas if they feel like it's too much, then they just stop altogether and they move in the other direction. And then that's why I think it's sad because if they move in the other direction, they don't find something and they just have this belief that they're not good enough, they're not strong enough, not flexible enough, too old, insert whatever excuse you want. I just find that, yeah, for me, sad because I'm trying to encourage everyone to, to have that self-belief, to understand that we can improve in every single area of our lives. And I think even in the absence of that belief, if you feel like you don't have it, you can still trust and do anyway and it can come on the other side That's of that. right. Yep. Yeah, because I think um, even before they're ticking off those milestones and, and reaching some of those little goals, they still have to have the willingness to try. And yep. I think that is that's going to be the, the biggest thing that sets people apart because some people, regardless of whether they have that self-belief in them or not, the, the next thing is, are you willing to try even though you don't know if you can do the thing? And are you willing to try and fail and try again because you just want to like you just want to move and you just want to keep trying the thing and maybe one day you you might be able to get it um, because if, if they keep stepping in and they keep willing they keep they're willing to keep trying um, eventually they probably will get it and then once they get it no doubt they'll get the belief in themselves yep. and then that's when that's yep. when everything goes their way. Yeah. You automatically don't just have this belief. It's it's created from past experience, I think. Mm, and it's like, yeah. yeah. So it's it's developed through that. And the longer that time delay, sometimes the more profoundly deep that, that kind of stake of belief gets driven as well. If it does, if it takes a week, I'm like, oh, maybe I'm really capable. You know, but if it's like oh, 12 months and I got this thing, it's like sometimes it's like, wow, you can draw on that experience for the rest of your life. Then we, we see people do that as well. Yeah. Yeah. If it comes easy, it's kind of like, oh, maybe that's, yeah not instilling good beliefs in that, you know, sometimes it takes time and that's okay as well. And that's, yeah. That's why Rod has no self-belief because it's everything came easy. easy. Everything it's came. all easy. Yeah. It's all easy. He doesn't even try. <laughs> oh, it's not easy for you guys? <laughs> ah. <laughs> what about someone who, two people, they both come in and they're both consistent, but one is making significant progress and the other one feels stuck with where they're at. What are the, I'll start with you, Jenny. Do you see any clear differences between the people that have those experiences sometimes? Mm. Oh, it's hard to see the differences without knowing everything that's going on sure. for them individually because there can be so many reasons why somebody is is able to progress and somebody isn't. Um, 
without going into like sleep and eating and all of that, something that could be happening in their training is not looking forward at the next thing and understanding the correct progression to get them to move forward. So there's people who come into classes. There's some people that just, they just ask all the right questions, you know? Um, So they'll notice that, oh, I'm doing this exercise and it's starting to feel a bit easy. And they'll come up to the teacher and say, hey, I'm doing this. It's feeling easy. I'm ready for the next thing. And then you give them the next thing and then they work on it. And then they want the next thing. But there are people that come in that um, maybe they're not as aware. So they don't realize that the thing that they're doing is easy um, or they just have a different perceived level of exertion or whatever you want to, however you want to call it. Um, But if they don't understand that the exercise they're doing is easy, they may not level up to the next progression. So they won't progress as fast as the person who asks the questions and asks for the next progression. So yeah, for, for anybody, you know, trying to progress with any movement, always got to be thinking about, okay, am, am I able to do this well enough to be able to try the next thing? Because if you're not looking for the next thing, you you will never move forward. You, will, you could just stay on the same exercise forever. You know, someone working on chin-ups could just stay on ring rows for their whole life if they don't ever ask for the next thing. They right. don't ever try the next thing. So that without, as I said, without going into like sleep and eating and all of that other stuff, that's something um, within the gym that people can control. I think that's huge. I think so much of what we do in training is so that we can tolerate more of it. Yeah. You know, like just from a fundamental kind of perspective, it's like the overload principle, one of the most fundamental principles there is. It's like we do a thing so that we adapt to that stimulus, but we've adapted to that stimulus and so we need to kind of make it a bit harder in some kind of way. And so understanding that that's the, the, the fundamental thing that you're trying to do, it really helps you start to look for the opportunities to be like, hey, maybe I'm ready for that next yeah. thing as well. I think it's a great one. What about you, Rod? Yeah, very similar. It's like you've got to give the body a reason to change. And that's exactly what you're talking about, about the overload principle. I think it comes down to effort, but it's very similar to what you're saying. It's like the person that's making the progress is probably putting in more effort. And I can see people with inside the class and I know that they can give more effort, but they stay at a progression that's kind of comfortable. And there's no judgment on that person. It's just like yeah. one person knows. It's like it was almost like there's one person's got this fire that's inside of them and they know how to. And I'm not saying going 100% when I say go hard. I'm just saying go to a level that you're going to tell your body, hey, it's time to make progress versus, hey, this is really comfortable and I'm moving through these like ring rows and it feels really nice. That's kind of not the purpose of gaining strength we need to actually look at that next level look at that next progression and maybe it's not even the next level the next progression how do we make it harder how do we overload the body how do we teach the body that hey you're weak in this position how do we make it stronger can we get stronger and it's like giving that message so it's like increasing the effort is going to be super helpful for the person that's not making the progress i really like that and i've been on both sides of that story as well in different areas of my life i've been I think especially when it comes to like business and those kinds of things and, and many other things, to be honest as well, I've been that person that's been more comfortable playing a bit smaller and playing a bit safer and maybe not putting myself out there as much for that fear of failure, maybe not going as hard as I can because I'm like, oh, I just don't know, you know what I mean? Like, and so, and I think it, there's almost like a, that, that tension builds over time yep. and it starts to get less and less fulfilling to be like, you know what, I really do want this thing and I know I can give more. And sometimes that needs to, sometimes we need to, fall short of our own potential a bit in order to start to realize like, hey, this is actually worth the effort to kind of transcend that discomfort and and start to go through it and start to do things anyway. And you're not just talking about movement training now, are you? You're talking about your business and putting yourself out there and playing music and all those things, right? Yeah, exactly. It's all relative. It's like a 
like a universal concept. It's like this this idea of effort and putting effort in to progress to yeah to level up to upgrade applies everywhere. Movement is life. Movement is life. <laughs> Say it, Jenny. Movement is life. Oh, that was oh. that was good. <laughs> <laughs> Something else you mentioned before that kind of training the fitness culture has been around for longer, right? And there's you know, there's been an amazing thing that, that that's brought, but there's also been a lot of maybe values and maybe ways that things have been done that I think that we could do really well to change and, and to start to evolve as we move forwards. And I think that movement being such a young culture has a real potential to pave the way in a lot of in a lot of senses of that, you know what I mean? One of the big things that I wish more people were honest about in fitness culture is their relationship with body image. Yep. And I think that there's a really interesting thing that happens when you only, you know, the desire to look good is a really fundamental human drive. But there's a funny thing that happens when that becomes the sole goal above everything else mm-hmm. and it can start to muddy the water and start to become a complicated relationship. Mm-hmm. And there's real potential with movement to still integrate that desire. We actually spoke about this in the last podcast. Like you can still train, you can still look good from the way you train in movement, but there's also, there's other things as well. And that help, that can help us balance these things a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But if you guys are open to it, I'd love for you to speak to a little bit, like what was your relationship like with kind of general body image before you started to do this movement stuff? How did that change when you did it? And how has that been, like what challenges have you had to deal with over time? I'm going to go first. Go ahead. Get it. So I guess when I first started training, it was about when I was 18. <clears throat> and I think for most 18-year-old guys, when they first start training, it was like I was, a, I was a little guy and I wanted to get bigger. And a bunch of guys training at the gym with me. And it was – I really enjoyed it. I really loved going to the gym. Like I could see progress. I think I gained – I was probably growing as well. So it wasn't just from the training. I was like, you know, it's pretty young. But I gained about 10 kilos over the course of um, a 12-month period. So I was looking like, you know, I had like a chest and I had some triceps and I was developing my body. Never had legs, but <laughs> always skip leg day. Is that how it goes? That's the movement motto. Always skip leg I day. I think yeah. so. I still live by that today. <laughs> I, love, I love that shit. And it was, yeah, just focus on the body and I really enjoyed it. We had this culture, this community that we would go and train and we were watching like, you know, pumping iron and all these like documentaries and YouTube videos and stuff. And it was just this really good culture. But yeah, it was very one-sided and I didn't know any other way. I just saw fitness, I saw bodybuilding and that was kind of it. And that was the trajectory that I had. And then I started to do a little bit of CrossFit. Oh, there was a CrossFit trainer at one of the gyms that I was training at. And I was like, that's interesting. Like this guy's doing like this kind of rope climb progression and he had a set of gymnastics rings. I'm like, what are you doing? doing handstand push-up variations and stuff like this looks cool because I went through a phase of like just trying to look good but then that got to a certain point where I was like bored and I was like all right I look good like I'm I'm lean I've got a little bit of muscle on me I never got over like 73 kilos I was never huge but I definitely you know look like I trained right and but this guy had something else I'm like this guy looks good and he's doing some cool shit I'm like Mm. well what is this stuff like what is this and he's like oh it's a little bit of CrossFit and he was just training another gym so then after that I looked for a CrossFit gym and I found a place that was a functional fitness place that eventually turned into a CrossFit facility they had monkey bars they had rings they had rope climbs they had handstands they were doing running they're doing all the things I was like this is good this is awesome and it gave me something else other than just like doing the exercise 
looking in the mirror, judging myself for how I looked that day, always disappointed, by the way. There was like this, um, yeah. it's called bigorexia, but I don't think I had that because I wasn't big enough to call myself <laughs> bigorexia. I don't even know what you call it. Anyway, I look at myself in the mirror and I look good, right? But I was always like, oh no, I could Not be big bigger. Yeah. I could be bigger. There's this judgment, this criticism, this comparison that was always there. And it was not outweighed by the training and the other things. So I started doing this other training and I just found more joy with inside training. And I wasn't looking at specific muscle groups when I was doing CrossFit. There was a part of me that was just like always questioning what we were doing. I was like, hang on a second. I've just trained here for three weeks straight. We've done all this programming, but we haven't done biceps. Like, when do we do biceps? And it was like I had to let go of the old idea of just building specific muscle tissue, all the all the mirror muscles kind of thing, to moving into more of like a functional type training where we're hitting multiple areas of the body, a lot of compound movements, a lot of skill work. And then I think that was the, the step or the, the lead into me practicing movement because at that time I moved to Canada. I did a bunch of workshops with uh, Carl Paoli, uh, Ido Portal, there was a bunch of circus performers and all these different types of things over there. So I started to get into the movement practice when I went that way. And then that was the next step again. So then I was asking more questions like, all right, CrossFit had a certain way and I got uh, adapted to that style of training and now I'm doing something different completely. Like one session was just handstands. It was like, well, what about the Metcons? What about the, you know, what about the run around the block, the 400 meters? What am I going to do without that? So I got attached to certain things within inside the bodybuilding training, look at my body comparison, trying to get bigger. And then the next thing was CrossFit. Like, and then that was a, a set sequence that I was going through. I had to let go of that and then move into movement. And I think that over the time, skill component like developing the skills through crossfit now into movement practice i think that's the thing that's kept this practice really healthy for me mm. whereas if i was always just looking at that one thing of like how does my body look also my body looks good now do you know what i mean like i've still got that yeah, and i've got fucking a list of like mad skills i've got all these qualities that i've developed aside from the skills things like confidence things like um, self-belief things like you name it like I've developed that through the movement practice and I feel like if I was just focused on my body in the way that it looks I wouldn't have these qualities that I currently have and I'm not saying that I'm perfect I'm still developing and I love that idea that movement is this kind of just this moving like cloud or something like that it's always changing it's always growing I'm always learning new things from people on the internet from Jenny from yourself from heaps of people and I know that it's going to be constantly changing and growing and I felt like the bodybuilding style for me felt like it, it reached a level and, you know, I just had this boredom. I was like, all right, it needs to be more than one single focused. How's that answer? That was a good <laughs> It's pretty long-winded, but. Oh, what the hell, man? There we go. Oh, God. Oh, we're over time. So all right, guys, thanks for yeah. joining us. <laughs> it always goes like this, guys. Always. I, I, really, I, I really appreciate you sharing really vulnerably about that. And I think that. You know, we joked about the bigorexia thing, but there's like, there, there's generally, I, I've experienced a similar thing. Mm. And there's generally, there's no minimum amount of muscle mass that you need to have to experience like muscle dysmorphia. It's a really, it's a yep. really common thing. And like, it's, it's almost compounded by that. You know what I mean? And the, I think a big problem is that like, when it's just how you look, that is always a moving goalpost. And that goalpost is always in front of you. With movement, there's always more goalposts in front of you, but you still reach it. You still tick off a skill. You're like, yeah. I can do this now. Mm -hmm. 
Now, what else do I want to do? And that's a yeah. virtuous cycle that goes up as opposed to a carrot in front of your head that you can never actually catch. That's right. And I think that's a really like, yeah, that was really, it was a really good answer. I'm keen to throw it over to Jenny now. All right. So I didn't do the circus and I didn't do the Carl Paoli and the Ido Portal or shout, any of that stuff. I grew up in Maitland, so we didn't have any of that and the opportunity seemed a little smaller to be able to travel over to Canada or all the various places that you travelled to. Oh, you've never been? Uh, <laughs> um, so I was just a regular girl going to a regular gym and when I started out at the gym, I, um, I just wanted to be fitter because I wasn't doing any exercise. You know, After I finished school, during school I was doing quite a lot of exercise and then after I finished school I started working in an office and I just wanted to be fitter. I wasn't doing a lot of exercise. And when I went in to um, have my orientation session, um, the trainer took all of my measurements and um, on the scales got the tape measure out and then asked me um, like what my goal weight was, like how much weight did I want to lose. And um, I was kind of like put on the spot because I – didn't really weigh myself a lot. I didn't really know how much I weighed. I was like, well, I guess, I guess I want to be smaller. So I, I guess I want to lose five kilos. It was like, oh, that was nice and easy. Like small number. I just want to lose five kilos. And um, something interesting happens to girls who don't have any muscle is that when they start training, they put on weight, they put on muscle. <laughs> so it didn't matter how much I did in the gym. I kept putting on more weight because my muscles kept getting bigger. And um, at the same time, I was actually doing um, pole fitness. So my my shoulders got quite big as well. And I was like a skinny little Asian girl to start with. So I had like ended up with these big shoulders. And um, I remember at a Christmas party, one of my uncles said, oh, Jenny, your shoulders are huge. And that was so insulting to me at the time because not not all women are like this, but a lot of feminine beings want to be smaller and more petite and um it felt insulting I was like okay so I'm like I'm masculine now so I'm like manly and I was like adding all these other words in my head of like what it actually meant for that person to tell me that I had huge um muscles and um I I decided that the sort of training that I was doing it wasn't it wasn't for me and I, I needed something else I was a little bit bored of pole as well but I wanted something else and um I was looking and um I yeah I went on Facebook and I saw this this guy just ran this um, movement workshop and in the photo there was a girl who was tagged in it who actually went to school with and um, some people were hanging on the rig and some people were doing handstands and I was like oh this looks really fun like looks like heaps of fun and um, yeah so I called Rod obviously it was Rod's workshop (laughs) I called Rod (laughs) and asked him are you doing any like are you doing classes like are you doing you're running classes because I'd love to come to some classes and he was not running classes no we don't do classes he wasn't running classes (laughs) he literally just opened up and but he could offer me some private sessions and um at the time I was working in Maitland I was like I don't know if I can you know do private sessions come in all the time and anyway it worked out that I started doing some private sessions and I ended up getting a job in Newcastle and um on on the first private session that we did I remember we we walked down to the so funny our private sessions were always so random but we went down to the park and we were walking on the railings <laughs> random like, we definitely didn't measure a body fat percentage did we no and on the, and i remember test. like on the way on the way back i asked him i said so when we get back are you going to take my measurements and he's like oh no and i'm like but but you're my you're going to be my personal trainer don't you need to take my measurements and he said no there's other ways that you can measure your progress other than measuring your you know boom Smart um, guy, smart guy. 
Yeah, that was a, like a huge, roguishly like a huge well. moment Oof, for me, uh, realizing that I could measure my, you know, I could have a different sort of a relationship with my body, mm. you know, to to um, to see value in my body for what it could do rather than how it looked was a like a huge game changer for me, and it was really really important after or during and after my pregnancy with Logan because during pregnancy, women's body changes so much. Like there were times where I'd look in the mirror and I'm like, I don't even know. I don't even know who that is. Like I was the heaviest I'd ever been. I put on 13 kilos, which is so, so like to me, that's huge. It's a huge amount of weight. I weighed more than Rod. I remember the day I weighed more than Rod and I'm like, I weigh more than you. <laughs> Just so you know. And um, I think if I didn't have that, you know, my movement practice where I could be proud of my body for things other than the way it looked, it would have been really, really hard. So I feel for women who go through pregnancy and don't have that relationship to fall back on, like to see the amazing things their body can do and not just looking in the mirror going, oh, like I don't have abs anymore or, you know, whatever it is. Um, So, yeah. I just want to add something. Yeah. So what Jenny said as well, and I think what I said too, it's now multidimensional. It's not just one single focus. So if you think like if you just had this single focus and that's all it was, and then that thing is stripped away from you, like it had to be with Jenny when she was pregnant. She had no other option, even though she was training, she's doing hand sense, all that stuff. It was literally stripped away from her. What does she have then? She's got, she doesn't have the thing that she once had. She's all the eggs in that basket. The movement practice allows you to look at all of the different elements of your body the skills that we can do, softer skills, spinal waves, juggling, hand-eye coordination, playfulness with other people, mapping things out, programming. There's all stuff that you can do. And and I find that when I get injured, mm. it's probably similar to Jenny when she felt like that when she was pregnant, there were certain things that she couldn't do. When I had a shoulder in- injury or my knee injury as well, I can't walk and I can't do certain things. If I was relying on that one thing, that I needed to use my leg for, then I would feel terrible. But I'm able to shift and do something with my upper body or do something with my lower body. I find things that I can do that are super helpful for my like mental state or my well-being. And I think that's very important. That, I really you know, like when Rod compares pregnancy to a sore leg. It's, um, <laughs> I love it. I'm not comparing it to the sore leg. We've said that before. I've we mentioned have. that before. It's just like, oh, that's not the same. I'm not. But what I'm saying is like things are stripped away and if you're single focus, well then, yeah, pretty much if you have a sore leg, same as pregnancy. <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> There's one. You know what I'm saying, though, Jenny, right? You know, no, I'm good with you saying it now. But when I was pregnant and you had a sore shoulder and you were like, it's a sore shoulder. I was done. basically pretty much the same as being pregnant. I was like, God, oh my God. <laughs> I never said that, Fernandez. Don't believe it. <laughs> I'm just. If you guys just want to take five, maybe come back in about five minutes. Uh, Let's wrap it up. Let you guys have it out. <laughs> no, like I. <laughs> Let's wrestle. Yeah. Um, place your bets right now. Three, two, one. <laughs> I, I really appreciate you sharing really vulnerably as well. And I've one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up because I've seen you share really powerfully and really vulnerable in some of your content as well around what that journey is like for a woman as well because it's, I think there there is so many differences as well. And part of, you know, when we really think about it, being pregnant is one of those incredible things that your body can do. It's like, what the, is a fucking human? And yeah. What the fuck? But when we only have that yardstick, to, and this is my big gripe with the way that fitness is done right now, because when we're like, what is fitness? When we step into a gym, we, we expect the authorities to have that answer for us. And when that process looks like, let me measure every bit of your body and then how much of that you want to lose. Basically like, which part of your body is not good enough right now? Yeah. Like that's the premise, the mm. fundamental thing. 
And that's the only yardstick we have to measure with something like pregnancy, which is, you know, in all rights, like I get that there's also a real self-image transformation going on, but it is a beautiful thing as well. Mm. And there are other things your body can do as well, but it's like, it's so ingrained in us in, in both sides that that's like a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's something else. You know what I mean? It's like, I think that's a really big problem that I would love to see things become more multidimensional in the future. Like you said, it's like, yes, we want to look good. Yes. We want to do cool shit. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes these things change as we age, as things happen. But at the same time, there's always, there's more than one yardstick Mm. and there's, we can always try and find a way to be like, Hey, but I can still do this. And there's just, it's so much of a healthier mindset, I think. Absolutely. Definitely. Way more options in the movement space, I would say. So come to the movement side. <laughs> <laughs> Join us. The dark side. One of us. One, One of us. us. <laughs> I, guys, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and speaking about this and just for, for sharing your expertise. I am about to go and do something I've always dreamed of and I would not be able to do that without the guidance from both of you that the opportunity that both of you guys gave me and the belief and the trust as well and also just everything that i've been able to learn by just becoming kind of falling into this beautiful community that you guys have built and i just want to say a huge thank you from the bottom of my heart not only for doing this podcast but just for this sharing this last kind of three-year journey and i'm really glad that i'm going to be coming back and it's that's not the end of it as well so. yay if people want to follow Rod Cooper, and they want to see his majestic butterfly kicks. Where can they go? Where can they go? Rod J Cooper on Instagram. Probably the best spot to check out what we're doing, what I'm doing. And if they want to see the fabulous backbends of Jenny Cooper. Uh, Jenny Moves, J-E-N-I-M-O-V-E-S. Dope. This has been awesome, guys. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, just before we finish up as well, I want to thank you. I know I've said this before, but I want to thank you for – I read your email yesterday actually mm. and just read the bit of – like you just put in the email a bit of a journey. Sign up at whitebelt.com. Yeah, whitebelt.com. <laughs> bit of a journey of like, you know, coming up with this idea, uh, having a conversation with me, coming up with this idea of like, I'm just going to go and just see if it, it'll work out. And we, and we said yes. We just gave mm. you this opportunity. And you're talking about your handstand. You couldn't do a handstand. Now you can do how many seconds? What do you got? Uh, I think three Over. seconds. Three it's, second yeah, handstand. It's yeah. really improved in yeah, these yeah. last it's few a, years. At the movement collective, but the second a year. All these different things, right? You just you've you've developed so much with inside the physical, but then also with inside your life as well. Like mm. I feel like you've yeah. just leveled up within your business, the way that you speak, the way that you present yourself, the way that you're so dedicated and focused to the craft of movement and teaching and all the things that you do because i know that it's it's not just those things as well it's like the way that you're you've developed your life it's really inspiring for me to see and i'm really proud of you as well for yeah for 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 saying yes for coming to newcastle for making it work for contributing so much to the community as well we're going to have a little get together for you after your class on saturday it's your last class so if the members listening to this please come along when will this be posted today i'll have to try and get it out today today. (laughs) well before saturday uh and it's yeah it's just been absolutely amazing to see you develop and and to witness that and also to learn from you and for the community to experience that as well i know that there's going to be a lot of sad people to see you go so thank you 
Sad, but also very excited for you because yes. you're doing the thing that's scary, but you, you're a hermit crab and you've got to, you've <laughs> grown and you've got to find a new shell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thanks, Jenny. Nice. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the White Belt Podcast slash the TMC Movement bye, Collective bye, bye. Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.